The scripture reading today um, is from two different passages in Colossians. So 1, 9 through 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So to, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Um, if you are new to North Cross, um, I, uh, I'm not the pastor of North Cross. We're actually in transition as a church and can, uh, currently still uh, searching and um, uh, looking for our next pastor. So please be praying for us as we're in this place of transition. But my name is Hudson Belk. Um, I actually serve as a chaplain at Joe Gibbs Racing, and I'm a part of the leadership team here at North Cross. So I'm thankful for the privilege to get to preach the last two weeks, last week and this week, and we're, we're looking at the passage that was just read from Colossians 3 and asking, what does it look like to live a life worthy of the gospel, to live a life in the, uh, worthy um, of the Lord? Now I want to start by asking you this question. Uh, does anyone distinctly remember their high school graduation speech? Does anybody remember like the theme of it and what they said and like you were super inspired and you're like, if it weren't for that speech, I wouldn't be here today? Well, me neither. And that's kind of my, my intro. So there's our intro for our sermon. The point being that a lot of times in these graduation speech, you have these high lofty goals um, of, of how to, to live um, and what we're going to do to change the world. But I don't remember what was said, but I remember leaving there and being, one, I'm, I'm glad it's over, and two, like, I actually feel like more of a burden. I'm, I'm now trying to live this high, lofty thing out alone because we're 
I'm leaving all my friends and my family and going to this new place. Um, the how to, to live this lofty call out um, was lacking. Last week, we looked at this lofty call, God's desire for us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And Paul regularly reminds us in all of his letters to the church. And we also acknowledge the gap that exists between what we say we believe and how we actually live. And we talked about our union with Christ um, is so important to understand. Understanding um, that we are in Christ, that we get all the spiritual blessings of Christ. And Christ is in us, the power to allow us to walk that out in obedience. Um, and that we're to put to death the old self and live into who we truly are. Uh, in the letter of James, Jesus' half-brother makes a, a similar claim at, at the goal of who we're to be. And he actually says to count it all joy when we face trials. For what purpose? What are, that's counterintuitive. Even Ben was talking about last week, some of the, all the trials they've been to. Well, how do we count it all joy? He said that then we might be steadfast, that we might persevere to what end? That we might be perfect and complete. Now, he's not saying perfect and complete in the sense of without sin. Perfect and complete as we might be whole. He says we don't want to be double-minded. Whole. And we might be whole people. I think we would all sign up. Nobody wants to live a disintegrated life. Nobody would like to be, oh, Todd, you're, you're half of a man. Um, you're, you're not a whole. We, we want to have lives that are, that are whole. Actually, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I went to the Citadel Military School in Charleston, South Carolina. And the promise of the Citadel is if you come here, we will make you the whole man. You'll be, be the Citadel man, the whole man. We'll break you down your freshman year, and by your fourth year, you'll be the whole man. Well, as some of you know, I went two years. So as, the, as, as it pertains to the Citadel, I'm half of a man. And so you're hearing a sermon from half of a man today. Um, but, I'm kidding, but the, the, the world has one idea of what, what wholeness is, um, but the New Testament's given us a different picture of wholeness. And actually, in chapter 2 of Colossians, the chapter previous, uh, Paul had just warned against false teachers who had presented this idea of wholeness, what it meant to live worthy of the Lord. Uh, and that's why Paul warned them. He said, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul uh, was speaking to the Christians and saying, false teachers have come in who have given them these extra-biblical commands. Don't touch this. Don't do this. And it was a form of like religious mysticism, of talking of dreams and all these very severe and disciplined and religious sounding things and yet Paul's like that has no power in your life only Christ remember the gospel that I told you and look to Jesus and your union with him because no man-made religion or any other system can holistically make us who we we're created to be we were created for Jesus and we need him and so Paul makes this very clear get connected to the source at Joe Gibbs Racing, our president, Dave Alpern, he, uh, he often says this. He says, generally, I've found that most people are either uh, fountains of life or they're drains, drains of life. Fountains of life, and he's always encouraging people around Joe Gibbs Racing, be a fountain of life. 
Um, but he was actually speaking at our Bible study this Wednesday. He said, if you're actually going to be a fountain of life, you've got to be connected to the source. If we took this water fountain out here in the lobby and took it away from the wall, it is pretty useless. But it actually lives out its purpose, its whole, its whole purpose, when it's connected to the source. And so Paul here in our passage is saying, you've got to be connected to the source. And unlike graduation speeches, or most of them, he actually says, and this is how you can do it. These are, th these are some practical things I've given you in the church for how to live out a life worthy of the gospel. And so that, he gives those in the last three, uh, three verses of our passage. But before we look at the three verses, I want us to notice that in verse 15, 16, and 17, he says all of these are done with joy and thanksgiving. In verse 15, be thankful. In verse 16, with thankfulness. Verse 17, giving thanks. All three of these points that we're going to talk about are to be received with thanksgiving, with joy, because they are gifts from God. And a joyful heart, now that's a heart that's fertile for change, to put off the old and to live into the reality of the new. How do we, how do we change? It comes from a place of joy. How can I quit eating pizza all the time? Well, give me steak, because I'll take steak all day over pizza. Jesus, he's holding up Jesus saying, this is so much better. This is who you're creating. This is, this is the source. This is so much more valuable. This is what allows you to say no to your old self. Or Jesus actually gives the example in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered. And from his joy, he saw this is the best. Nothing else compares to this that I have. He goes and he sells out all that he has and he buys that field because he wants the treasure. And so if we're going to live lives worthy of the gospel, it comes from a place of gratitude and thankfulness as we do these three things. And this isn't comprehensive, but this is what Jesus has given to the church in Colossae, or this is what Paul's telling to the church in Colossae. It says, 1, chapter, or, uh, verse 15, We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord with gratitude as we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Two, we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And three, we do everything in the name of Jesus. So we live a life worthy of the gospel as we have joy in Christ, as his peace rules, his word dwells, and in his name our lives are lived. So let's quickly go through those. Number one, as the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. Well, first of all, we've got to ask, what is the peace of Christ? Well, Jesus, in his farewell discourse, kind of his like goodbye speech, to his disciples. He says in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. But not as the world gives do I give it to you. The peace of Christ, Jesus is saying, is different than a peace that the world typically would think of peace. His peace is not just the absence of conflict or the avoidance of conflict. He's really bringing out this idea, this Hebrew idea of shalom, of wholeness again, of harmony of things working together as they ought, of flourishing, of forgiveness, of cleanness, ultimately this eternal relationship with God and his people. And so the peace of God is God's actions given to us in Christ. And there's actually a past, present, and future aspect to this. Past. Through Christ, we now have peace with God. How? At the cross. At the cross of Christ, we have peace. We once were enemies of God, the New Testament tells us we were rebels, we were spiritually dead, we were foreigners, we were orphans. All these ideas that have to do with lack of peace. We're orphans. 
alone. We're enemies. We're, there's hostility. Um, and yet at the cross, Christ has done away with that. He's brought peace so that we can now be a friend, a child, alive, a citizen, relationship with God. All condemnation and hostility is removed. We have peace with God. And that's what Paul brought out in Ephesians 2 when he says, Now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of, by the blood of Christ. For Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one, bringing together, breaking down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the commandments. He is make, making peace and has reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. So what Christ did in the cross has given us peace. That is what's true of you. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. Present peace. We know that nothing enters our life that doesn't go through the hands of our Father. Our good Father who gave his own Son that he might know us does not let one thing enter our life that doesn't go through his hands. And he actually promises, though there are some awful things in this broken world, awful things, even death itself, that come into our life, he says, ultimately, you have peace because I'm working all things for your good. The end of the story is peace, is goodness, is favor, is blessing. I'm working it all to that end. The Son who gave His life for you on the cross is now at the right hand of the Father pleading your case. That gives us peace. There's a bigger story. We have a bigger advocate. That's why Paul said to the church in Philippians, the same do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord and the peace of God, which... It surpasses all understanding. It's hard to even explain to you what that is because it's a supernatural reality. It's a peace that's found in knowing Christ by faith. And then the future aspect is we have peace because we know glory and fully realized shalom is guaranteed as our future. That's the end of our story. The world and its attempts at peace, when hard times come, will say, I'm sorry. It'll be okay. Things, what, things happen for a reason, but they, maybe they don't know why we can even bank on that. It's going to be okay. But Christ gives us a surer peace, a deeper peace. Jesus says, yeah, what are the threats to your peace? Your greatest threats is sin and death. And I've taken care of those at the cross. The worst thing that could ever happen to you will actually end up for your best. Jesus says, I went through death and I defeated it so that you know that even death is an entrance to your greatest peace, eternal shalom. I've got you. You got peace. I got every single threat that this world could offer. I got it. And I took care of it. And I'm working it out. So that's the idea of the peace of Christ. And so what do we do with it? What is Paul saying? How do we live into that? What are we to do with this peace? We're to let it rule our hearts, Paul says. It's the Greek word rule is, is to be the arbitrator. It's to be the umpire. It's the one that dictates how the game goes. Let the peace of Christ be what dictates how your life goes, how you respond to each moment. I have two friends that recently got tattoos, uh, and one of them, 
I said, even so. And she's been battling cancer for three years. And it's been really hard. And you can imagine the lack of peace that's there. And she wrote, and got that tattoo to remind her that even so, God is good. Even so, peace awaits. Even so, in the midst of everything that says peace is a lie, no peace is true. God is good. And my friend Matt Ham was here last week, and he actually got a new tattoo. And I looked, and I'm like, what is on your arm? Um, and it's the Greek word for it is finished. And I didn't talk to him about why he got that, but I would imagine it's because he wants the peace of Christ to rule. That is a daily reminder to him that it is finished. His abilities as a pastor does not make him or break him. It is finished in Christ. That past sins or struggles, that's not what defines him. It's the grace of God. It's finished. That he's gone through a lot of loss and tragedy in his life, and in the midst of that, he's reminded it is finished. Glory awaits. That's letting the peace of Christ rule. That that's what's true. That's the truest thing in the midst of the storm is God's promises. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it be the referee of your life, the umpire of your life. But it should also be noted that a lack of peace in Christ actually does lead to unraveling in our life. Anxiety, fear, divisions, quarrels. Let me just give you a picture. It's a little too close for home for comfort. Um, maybe not as serious as some of the others, but it's a reality. Just imagine, like maybe a couple nights ago or something, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm starting to think, ah, I'm so guilty. Why do I always struggle? Like, I would have thought God would have done more in my life by this point as a 43-year-old. Um, is God even working in my life? What am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? And I'm feeling this discord and not resting in it is finished and who I am in Christ. And so I might just shout out over my shoulder, Catherine, what's wrong with us? We need to have more people in our house. We need to be praying more together. We need to be doing more. And of course, you can imagine that probably doesn't go too well for the rest of the evening. And it leads to a, a, a not a good night of sleep. Um, and the reason is because a lack of peace in my own heart leads to unraveling uh, in our relationship. And the reality is hurt people hurt people. We've heard that said a lot, right? People that are, have unrest lead to wrestling. But people of peace exude peace. They're peacemakers. That's why people of the kingdom, Jesus says, are peacemakers, because they've experienced the peace of Christ. Now let me caution us that we can't actually experience the peace at a deep level that Paul's talking about if we've not experienced that ultimate peace, the, the vertical peace with God. The vertical peace leads to horizontal peace in our life, which also means that for the church, that we should have a deeper peace than, a, than any other peace that can be offered in the world. There should be something different about our peace. And that's what Paul's saying in our passage, that the peace of Christ, when it rules in our hearts, it leads to peace in our community, that our community is ruled by peace. The structure of this Greek sentence actually says that peace is the goal of the one body, of the church. He says the same thing in Ephesians 4, that if we're going to walk worthily, Paul says in Ephesians 4, we have to be eager to maintain peace. So seeking peace and seeking the peace of North Cross Church, North Cross, must be a goal of each member. Actually, since you're a member, I know you've actually made vows for the peace and the purity of this church. 
peace is an important thing. It's a community project. It's something um, that we made vows to. Now, this is not saying that we accept everybody's thoughts, feelings, or beliefs. Unity and peace are not the absence even of having to say hard things or having to deal with conflict. We actually have to say hard things and have to deal with conflict so that we can pursue peace and unity together as Christ and knowing Christ is our ultimate goal. So here's a few quick applications as we try to live out the peace of Christ in our community. Let's not let offenses linger. Let's keep short, short accounts with one another. That's hard. And that takes work. That takes the peace of Christ rule in our hearts that we would engage one another when we need to. Uh, that we'd be willing to forgive each other, to have those harder conversations. That if you've been offended, that you don't go and gossip, that you go and speak to that person. Let's be a community that gives the benefit of the doubt to one another in love. Giving the benefit of the doubt in love and speaking the truth in love. And seeking the good of one another, not gossiping or, other, or just participating in other offensive talk. And lastly, for application here, is we are a church in transition. And what better time to bring disunity, to bring discord when we're in transition. North Coloss, let's be eager to maintain peace in our community. Now, the next point allows us to do this. Paul says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And what's the word of Christ? It's the gospel. It's the scriptures. As all of scripture points to Jesus, let God's word, his scriptures, dwell deep in us. And what does the word do when it dwells deep in us? Psalm 19 says, it revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It warns us. It's to be desired. North Cross, may we be known as people who love the word, people who are of the word. Because as we do, souls will be revived in our midst. Hearts will be made joyful. Truths will be known. Errors will be exposed. And Christ will be our greatest treasure. If his word is working deep in us. And so how do we handle it? How, how does that take place? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scriptures God's, uh, God breathed, and it's useful for what? for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. That the Word, what it does in us, what it's useful for is to tell us what is true about God and ourselves, but it's also for reproof. If we're honest with God's Word, we come honestly before it, the Spirit will rebuke us. It'll show us where our life, where that gap is, but it'll also correct. It'll lead us in repentance. It will restore us back into the ways of Jesus and it trains us. It'll build us up to be people in a community that live worthy of the Lord. So my question is, do we approach Scripture with that same posture, with humility? Lord, teach me what's true. Correct me where I'm wrong, and build me up in yourself. If we are honest, any real relationship, if we want to have a real relationship with Jesus, the source, real relationships should encourage us that's why we're in relationship, because we want to be encouraged. But real relationships also rebuke, right? Real relationships show us where maybe we were off. I have a real relationship with my wife. She encourages me. I love my wife and love our relationship. And sometimes, because I'm a sinner, she has to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I see my own error in my ways. 
If we have a real relationship with Jesus, we allow his word to do the same. If you want a real relationship, we have to allow God's word uh, to teach and to admonish. And that's what Paul says here. How does the word dwell in us richly? The adverbs that tell us how to do that is teaching and admonishing. That's why every Sunday we come here for the word to dwell in us richly as we teach, we tell the truth, and we admonish, we call each other to application. We call each other uh, to, to live that out. And as we do that, we get Jesus. We see Jesus. We walk with Jesus. And that leads to great joy. That's why Paul says, singing hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. May we be a joyful community as the word dwells richly in us. It's actually interesting looking back at a lot of the great revivals in church history. They're also the times that are marked with some of the greatest hymns. Because when the word dwells richly, our lives are changed and we respond in joy, in joyful singing, in, in celebration. And so, I just want to remind us, North Cross, our application for the second point is we're not called to just be a social club of great friends. We are a social people of great friendships, but we're called to be a community that the word of Christ dwells in us richly, that we share and read and listen to and talk about and memorize and Think about the Word of God and Christ and what it means for our life. Do you feel equipped? We want to be a community that's loved, equipped, and sent. Do you feel equipped to be able to encourage one another in the Word? Do you feel equipped to be able to say hard things about God's truth out of love for one another? We want to grow in wisdom as a community how to do that well. And I admit, that's hard, and we need the Spirit to do that. But maybe, may we be a community that the Word dwells in richly. And lastly, Paul says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus even mean? I think he's getting at the idea that word, thought, and deed, everything be done in line with the person and character of Jesus. That everything in our life, we understand is under the authority of Jesus, done in line with his word, and done in dependence with him. That getting to live our life for Jesus is a gift. We have communion with him in all that we do. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to the ball field, it's all done with Jesus, for Jesus, under Jesus, in Jesus. Every secret thought and intention, every conversation late at night with my wife, every interaction with friends at school, the conversations around the water cooler at work, how we view the world and politics, everything from uh, our inner thoughts to the utmost, ends, everything in our life we get to do with Jesus. He's with us, and we bring him into all of those spheres. So here's our application point for that. If you can't say... Say you're making a decision to do something. If you can't say, I'm doing this or not doing this to give thanks to Jesus and to do it in his name, then maybe that's something we should reconsider. This is a good gauge for how we schedule our time or spend our money or engage in relationships or enjoy entertainment. Is what we're doing being done in the name of Jesus? Can we give thanks to Jesus for this thing? In my last application is all of this, the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, the word dwelling richly, and us living lives, is to be done in the body, in the church. We need one another. 
to do this, to live lives worthy of the gospel. That's the importance of life groups and prayer triads and why we come together even this morning, that we can help each other walk in peace, walk in the truth, uh, and live it out in our lives. And there's some things that you need specific uh, people to, to help you with. There's certain businessmen with your business, you need other believers that are also businessmen in your life to say, hey, this is a, I don't know how to do this in the name of Jesus. I don't know how to glorify God in the way that I'm trying to do this certain thing. We need each other to help each other know what that looks like. And sometimes it's not clear, but we need to be at least having these conversations together. What it looks like to parent well, what it looks like to make decisions on school and sports and activities, students, what it looks like to follow Jesus in your high school. God's given us the community, this church, to live that out together. And so last week, if you were here, you heard of my great $500 anniversary trip that Catherine and I took um, for our one-year anniversary on this tiny little uh, cruise ship that wasn't much bigger than a tugboat. And we got off of that, and we were very nauseous and couldn't even go to uh, Universal Studios. Um, nausea can be hard. And somehow our family gets nauseous a lot, especially in the car. And when we're in the car driving, what do, we, what do you think we tell our girls when they're starting to get nauseous? Look ahead, Bailey. You've got to look. Find a fixed point straight ahead and just stay focused on it. Don't be looking to the side, to the side. Look straight ahead. We live in a culture that's ever-shifting. And we live with an old nature that's ever battling with sin. And how are we going to live lives worthy of the gospel? They must be fixed on the one true firm foundation, Jesus Christ. And let his peace rule our hearts. Let his word get in us deeply. And let's follow him that we might um, be hope. That we might point people to the true hope um, who's worthy of all of our lives, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, um, as we leave this place, as we heard your word, as we've sung it, we've heard it read, we've heard it preached, may your peace rule our hearts, may your word dwell deeply, and may we um, be people who walk with you um, this week. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.